How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Today, we have a really compelling topic, and it couldn't be more timely. The COVID-19 vaccine is ready to be shipped, and the EMS community finds itself in the 1A category for distribution. This may come within days, and with it comes a lot of questions, concerns, and unanswered questions. With us today to better help us understand the vaccine is a person who has been intimately involved in the research and upcoming rollout and distribution. Dr. Ken Shepke is the State EMS Medical Director for the Florida Department of Health. Dr. Shepke, thank you for coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me. You know, Doc, I'm really excited about this podcast, and I've reached out to a number of colleagues because this obviously is so important right now with the situation we're in with COVID and and the timing of the rollout. And, you know, I've been asking them for some of the questions that they might have. And, and the question that's been universal basically across the board is, why should we trust this vaccine? You know, that's a, you're right. It's a common question. And I think what I see amongst my own firefighters and EMS folks is this sort of supposition that vaccines normally take years and years to develop. So the fact that we got to this point so quickly means we must have cut some safety corners. And that's really not the case. Uh, you know, the, this is really all about scientific advancements that occurred just in a timely manner prior to this pandemic hitting. Uh, and if you want, I can briefly go, go through why we are able to get vaccines so quickly. And it may reassure the folks that are listening that truly this is simply a, the speed of science as we currently have it and not any corners that, that were cut. And the good news is, uh, thanks to these new breakthroughs, especially in the messenger RNA uh, vaccine field, we'll, we'll be able to make vaccines this quickly forever from now on. Yeah, absolutely, Doc. And, and I would love for you to, to hit on those topics because there, there is fear. And I don't think it's you know just thrown out there because people are doubting it. I think it's, it's out there because there hasn't been a tremendous amount of information given to the public, but you know more so EMS because we're in that one A. You know we could be referenced as the guinea pigs almost uh, on this, and there's not going to be anybody that we can look to before us who have had it, really. So yes, please, you know maybe expand upon some of those points that you're speaking about. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I mean, I think you just look at the history of vaccines. The, the first one came back came about in the late 1700s. Uh, it's actually where the name vaccination comes from when Ed Jenner. Uh, discovered that using the vaccinia virus, which is cowpox, could, pre could prevent you from getting smallpox. And of course, vaccinia being the name of cowpox, that's where the term vaccination came from. And that literally took us thousands of years for humans to get our first vaccine. And the next major breakthrough didn't happen for hundreds of years. And then even when we started getting uh, to, to get the measles vaccine, it took over a decade to develop. So that's what we're kind of used to, is that these things take a long, long time. But about 30 years ago, uh, there people started working with this thing called messenger RNA. And really in the last 10 or 15 years, it started to heat up. And especially in the last five, messenger RNA really sort of started coming into its own. Now, obviously that's very timely for the pandemic. So that when the pandemic hit, this technology with this ultra fast breakthrough of creating vaccines was ramped up, ready to go. So what messenger RNA is, is it's the genetic material 
that is the recipe, if you will, to create a protein. And that's important because your immune system recognizes proteins that do not normally belong in your body and creates an immune response, mostly with antibodies and also with something called T-cell response to fight off that invading foreign protein. And it literally took just simply not cutting any, any corners. It took 63 days to develop a vaccine from the point of knowing the genetic code of this virus to injecting the first human with a vaccine. So that's just how long it that's how short it takes. I mean, keep in mind, it took us 10 years to get a strain of measles virus that we could use for a vaccine. And this, by the way, it's not even a virus. The, these messenger RNA vaccines are what we call lipid nanoparticles. That's basically a fancy medical term for a tiny ball of fat. And what they, they do is they take these messenger RNAs that encodes for the recipe for the spike protein. I'll explain what that is in a moment. And they put that into these little lipid balls, and that's what you get injected with. So you cannot get infected with this. These things can do literally one and only one thing, and that's encode for the spike protein. And the reason why they, they wanted the recipe or the messenger RNA for the spike protein is because that's the point of attachment for the virus to your cell. So if your body can make antibodies, if your immune system can make antibodies to the spike protein and cover up the, the, the virus and all its attachment spikes, cover up all those spike proteins with antibodies, basically neutralizes the virus's ability to attach to your cells. And that's what we call neutralizing antibodies. You may see that when you, when you look at the studies. In addition to that, these messenger RNA vaccines are also able to elicit a T-cell immune response. That's a little harder to measure in the lab, but T-cells do a bunch of things with your immune system as well. Most importantly in this scenario is your T-cell recognizes cells that have been infected with the coronavirus. Now, the coronavirus has to get into you, your cell. It has to inject its genetic material into your cell. And then it basically hijacks the cell's protein synthesis machinery and, and allows, uh, causes the cell to become a, a virus-producing factory. So that's why these T cells are really important because it discovers these infected virus, uh, these virus-infected cells and kills them before they can actually make any more copies of the, of the virus. So it destroys the virus's ability to replicate itself by using our cells, and the antibodies prevent the virus from actually attaching to our cells to begin with. So you really want both pathways of the immune system. And this, you know, this new technology, really, it looks like it does both of those two things. And in addition to that, another thing that happened really fast, so we got the vaccine prototype 63 days in the, into the first human. And then the question is, well, why is it why is it just months, not years, before we feel that this thing is effective and safe? And that's because when you do any study, you have to wait for your participants to, to get exposed to the disease when you're talking about a vaccine trial. So you imagine you take half the folks and you give them this, this vaccine and give the other half a placebo. And then you have to wait for these folks to go about living their daily lives and they'll eventually come in contact with the disease. And then you look at it and say, all right, well, you know, so many people in our study got the, got the disease as they went about their lives. How many uh, were vaccinated? How many got placebo? And then you do that ratio and it tells you how effective the vaccine was. Well, normally that takes a long time because if you think about making uh, vaccines for Ebola or, or Zika or some of the others, these things aren't worldwide where people are getting infected all the time with it. But when you have a worldwide pandemic where literally hundreds of thousands of people are getting infected every single day, that means your study population is constantly exposed to that disease. And that really speeds along the process where you have enough study participants who have unfortunately developed the disease where you can then kind of crack open the code and see who got placebo and who got vaccine and see how effective your vaccine was. So this is literally just, there's no mystery to it. It's just the speed of science and the fact that we have a very prevalent infection that speeds along the, the study process.
So what you're saying in essence is the fact that because this was so profound, it sped up the process on its own. In other words, we didn't have to wait for these folks to become infected. It was so profound. It was everywhere that it actually just led itself to being released so quickly. That's exactly right. So it's the development process is super fast with the new technology. And then the population that were being studied got infected very quickly because of the pandemic. But talk, talk to me a little bit more about the messenger RNA. And again, it's, I don't want to say it's brand new, but this is the first vaccine that is utilizing this mechanism, correct? And so that in itself probably brings about some anxiety and some concern because if you're injecting that into somebody's body and it's the first time in essence it's been done, will there be you know, negative effects and maybe not immediate, but down the line? Or, you know, should folks be worried about things that could potentially become, you know, negative to their bodies more so down the line than immediately like a, a regular uh, vaccine? Well, you know, whenever there's new technology, of course, there, there's the unknown and the unknown creates a, a certain amount of uncertainty, but they have been using this type of technology for the last several years. In fact, you could use that messenger RNA technology to create the recipe for any protein. And they're even using this not just in infectious diseases, but for cancer therapy. So for example, uh, if you start having cancer with a multiple with a melanoma, for example, some of those cells will start producing a mutated protein that doesn't normally exist in your, in your body outside of this cancer. Well, once you find the genetic recipe for that mutated protein, you can do the same thing, put it in a lipid in one of these little fat balls and inject it. And it teaches your immune system to kill any cell that has that now what we call a cancer marker on it with this mutated protein. And in fact, it does work for that. So it's not absolutely brand new. It is newer, uh, but it's not brand new. But the nice thing about this, unlike our older technologies, where we're basically using some form of a virus, either a killed virus or a weakened virus or a benign virus. Uh, and then you have to hope that you don't get sort of a reaction from the viruses that are in the vaccine, either like maybe you didn't kill it all, or maybe you've got your immune system doesn't work well. So even a weak virus might cause an infection in you. This thing's not a virus. This thing can, it, all it is, is a little tiny ball of fat with the, uh, the genetic material to make only one thing, in this case, spike protein. So it's the possibility for it to cause different types of things is very limited because we know exactly what it's got. It doesn't have any any of the other sort of ancillary things that come along in a vaccine that you don't necessarily need. It's got only the thing that you want to make the, the uh, antibodies to. So that really should limit any type of side effects. But to the point that you're making, is it safe? Between the Pfizer and the Moderna studies, they had 74,000 people in, the, in these studies and they had zero safety concerns in this. Now, there's a difference between safety concerns and side effects. Any vaccine can turn on your immune system. And when you turn on your immune system, you should expect to get things like a little bit of redness at the injection site, maybe a little achiness, maybe even a low-grade fever or a headache. And we do see that, especially after the second vaccine. I've got to mention, these are a two-vaccine series. So you get a vaccine on day zero and then another, another booster shot in three to four weeks. And having some of those immune reactions, that's not dangerous. That's a sign that the thing's working. It's turning on your immune system. But so far in these 74,000 folks, we saw we saw zero major safety concerns here, which, which is very reassuring. Doc, given the fact that you're not actually being injected with a live virus, would that lend itself to uh, the fact that there really wouldn't 
be the potential for significant side effects such as feeling like you have the virus right after it? I know that, that many people have said that, that there might be you know, a, a flu-like period after it. Is that true? Is there truth to that? Yeah, it's not actually infection that gives you that. That's your immune system turning on that gives you those, you know, feels like you're sick with something. Uh, and that did happen, especially after the second shot for the Pfizer and Moderna. A little more, a little more prevalent in the Moderna than the Pfizer, but both were relatively benign. Uh, would get better with Tylenol, and in general, went away in 24 to 48 hours. But we see that with lots of vaccines. You know, you can get that from uh, from any number of vaccines that have been on the market for a number of years. Uh, folks get that post-vaccination symptoms, and then again, that's that's a sign that your immune system is being turned on. It's not a sign of an infection. In fact, it's impossible for you to be infected with these messenger RNAs. They're not viruses. Right. It's just your immune response. And I think that's important for people to know because like you say, that happens with everything. It happens with, it happens to some people with flu vaccine. You know, one of the, one of the tales out there was that the side effect after the initial shot might be bad enough where you wouldn't go for the second shot. And again, I think that just gets legs and people start to buy into that and get concerned and then have doubts. And I think it's just kind of a cascade that occurs with that. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a fair point. Uh, it's important to note that, um, the side effects that you get typically occurred after the second shot. So the first shot was usually uh, very well tolerated. And then when you get that second shot, that's really kind of amping up. It's like giving, giving an extra boost to make your immune response more robust. So you would expect to get some additional side effects at that point from your immune system being turned on a little stronger. Now, Doc, the, the fact is you are an EMS director for approximately eight agencies throughout the state of Florida. And just to, to be a little bit more specific to this, now, are, are you getting concerns from those within your EMS agencies about this? And, and I know that you, you make great points, but is this something that is going to be mandated and can it be mandated for these folks? Well, I, I mean... I'm not a person who makes policy on mandating vaccines or not. I, I don't, I have not seen or heard anybody making this be a mandatory thing, and, uh, but that's not really my decision to make. Uh, my uh, role is basically to give folks the facts so they can make their own informed decision. And I think you're right. I think there's, uh, when there's a lack of knowledge out there or a lack of facts being out there, it makes po- folks a little reticent about getting this vaccine. So what I've seen in my own uh, practice in EMS is uh, I, I've done these type of talks for my firefighters and EMS folks, and their willingness to accept the vaccine goes up quite a bit after they actually have some of the facts. I, I'm Again, my role is not to try to convince you to take this thing. My role is to try to give you the facts, and then you you know weigh the facts and make your own decision. But I think me looking at this with a background in both you know, medicine and biochemistry, uh, I, I like this particular vaccine, this messenger RNA candidates, both the Pfizer and Moderna, I think they're brilliant technology, and I think the results are really compelling. We're still waiting for the FDA to give it a thumbs up, but I fully expect that uh, they'll follow suit like a couple of other countries around the world have with respect to the Pfizer application. And I think Moderna is going to be probably about a week after. You know, I, I think that's comforting for the listeners to hear. Uh, I really do. And I know that you're not here to, you know, push the vaccine on anybody, but just more to give the facts. And you've you've done a great job at that. And I think that it's reassuring you know, the information that you're giving. To pivot a little bit on this now, I, I'd like to get really into the logistical side of this. So, you know, as uh, as an EMS leader, I'm part of uh, many different, uh, you know, groups now that are looking to, to figure out the best way and the optimal way to distribute this vaccine. And I feel like the logistical part of this is going to be a challenge in itself. Do you feel 
that EMS is going to have is good, can potentially play a role in the vaccination uh, distribution, and and how do you see that playing out? Well, I think EMS has been enormous during this entire pandemic. I mean, I don't speak for other states because I don't know their responses as well, but for Florida, EMS has been on the forefront of mitigating this pandemic since the very beginning. And yes, I absolutely see a major role for them, not only to vaccinate themselves, but potentially to vaccinate vulnerable populations like those in the nursing homes, which we're actually uh, setting up some plans for uh, until the pharmacies get rolling on their own and for the general public. So we, we've used EMS for all sorts of things, you know, infection control at the long-term care centers, uh, mass testing, uh, and just general education of the public. And I see EMS as a, continuing to take that lead role in the field of medicine because we're so versatile and so adaptable that I, I really think that uh, EMS is going to be part of this. I, I agree completely. Um, you know, I think that EMS has absolutely had the the ability to shine like they have never had before with this pandemic. Um, you know, I, I speak of the New York, New Jersey area specifically, you know, especially back in March and April when we were just completely overwhelmed and we were basically renamed, you know, frontline warriors because they were the ones that were coming in contact even before the hospitals, putting themselves in harm's way and they performed flawlessly. And and I, I think that just a continuation of that would be to assist in vaccinating the general public with this fat, you know, with this vaccine and seeing this to a conclusion. We're well away from that right now, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel that we didn't really have months back. And I think that keeping them part of the process is going to be really important, not just for the public, but for the industry as a whole. Yeah, no question about it. Um, we, we are already developing multiple delivery plans and platforms for EMS to get involved in this, whether it be walk-up sites, uh, drive-through sites, having mobile vaccination teams. I mean, you, you name it. There, there's, all, there, there's not really many areas uh, in this vaccination project that EMS cannot make some major impact. And I think we hear a lot about this whole cold chain technology and this whole cold chain business for storage. And I think some folks get, get a little uh, hesitant about that because it looks like it makes the, uh, the, the uh, logistics insurmountable. But it's really not when you dig down into it. Uh, messenger RNA is a really fragile molecule. So uh, in the Pfizer case, you have to store these things at negative 80 degrees centigrade, which, I mean, that's super cold. That's way colder than your normal refrigerator uh, in your kitchen that your, that freezer normally gets. So this is a special this is a special medical freezer that we use. But um, you can take that thing and put it in a regular refrigerator, just like the one in your kitchen, and then it's still good for five days. So as long as you have an efficient system where you store the thing longer term in one of these really cold freezers, and then you give your mobile vaccination teams only like a one or two day supply that they store in a regular refrigerator. I think that really makes the logistics uh, much easier. And then on the Moderna side, it gets even easier than that because Moderna can be in just a regular freezer for up to six months. And then it can be in a regular refrigerator for up to 30 days. So that one's even a little bit more stable, um, So even though it's very similar technology. So I there's some barriers with the cold chain stuff, but I, I think EMS is so versatile. And I, I, can tell, I, I can't. I can't be more proud of the way how fire rescue and EMS has performed during this pandemic. And I'm sure we'll, we will rise to the challenge of this as well. No question. And and one other question about the logistics with the two dose vaccination, you know, how is that second dose going to get rolled out? I know that there's a lot of, you know, paperwork and things that are going to have to be filed with this vaccine for obvious reasons. How, and, and maybe you don't know yet specifically, but if you do uh, and could share, 
how would these first individuals be notified of that second dose? And when they have to go, does it fall into a specific time frame? Do they have to go on a specific day? Can it vary? How would they be notified? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't think there's going to be a single system. I think there's going to be a number of systems of notifying folks. And along that line, let me first just say that whatever you get as vaccine number one, whatever manufacturer you get, you have to get the exact same one for for, for shot number two. So if you get Pfizer's number one, you got to get Pfizer's number two and so forth. Um, but as, as far as the um, as far as the notification, uh, Florida's probably uh, system is probably similar to what other states do. And I'm going to have to speak from a Florida perspective because I know that system the best. We have something called Florida Shots. So all of your when you get vaccinated, all your data, you know what 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 did you get vaccinated with, what was the lot number, et cetera, that all flows up to the Florida Shots, and then from there it communicates to the CDC's uh, database, so that gets all tracked. And uh, a number of states are, are rolling out some ideas, which I thought were brilliant, such as have the folks who are taking the shot that day take a picture of where they're getting a shot with and put a calendar invite into their own cell phone right then and there to remind themselves. But there'll be other things set up too, such as text messages and call centers. There'll be a, numer there'll be a number of different ways that we notify folks to come get their second shot. It varies a little bit, but the Pfizer is three weeks after the first shot, and the Moderna is four weeks after the first shot. And yeah, there's a little wiggle room around there. Moderna said that they want you to get your second shot either two days before that four-week day or up to five days after your after that uh, four-week day. So there's there's like a there's a number of days around that target, but you don't want to be too far outside of that window because uh, that's the way it was studied. So we want to try to stay within the study parameters. Well, this is all great information, Doc, and I really do think that it's going to go a long way in really just educating the listeners as to what the vaccine is all about. As I said, when we started that, there's just been a lot of, I don't want to, well, there has been misinformation, but there's also been a lack of information. And like you said, I think that that just grows and grows into misinformation and, and these tales of terrible things that are going to happen. And let's be honest, we in EMS, we tend to be cynics. And so we're questioning everything at, at all times. But the way you describe this and, and the safety behind it in, in the information that you have, I think will go a long way in maybe changing people's minds uh, because we do want that. We've all lived through it. It's been, it's just been terrible for so many people, especially the first responder community. They're, they're just getting exhausted. And in order to conquer this, I think we need to get as many people vaccinated as possible, obviously following the, the same distancing protocols and masking, but to get as many people vaccinated and so that we can just push through this thing and, and get back to some semblance of normalcy. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and experts have looked to see uh, to kind of give us a formula for that. We don't need 100% of the population to be vaccinated. Uh, we do need somewhere around maybe 70% to be immune. And I think that's going to make this pandemic largely disappear once we reach that, that point. So it does mean until we get to that, that point, we're going to continue to keep our various mitigation methods in place um, just to, to be on the safe side. Uh, I'll tell you one other question I, I typically get is if I've already had COVID, should I or uh, can I get the vaccine? And, and the answer is, uh, if you've had COVID within the last 90 days, uh, while the vaccine supplies are in short supply, we're pretty confident that you have immunity at least for 90 days from natural infection. So maybe a, a, you know, a, until those supplies become more robust, you can allow one of your colleagues to get it. But even if you've had COVID vaccine, 
the CDC is currently recommending that you go ahead and get the vaccine because we don't know how long natural immunity will last. And we do believe that it starts to taper off. And we do want to get the entire population all at one time to have good, strong immunity so we can really make this virus, uh, virus go away. Awesome information, Doc. I, you know, I really do appreciate you coming on. And I, and I did watch your YouTube video and I wanted to plug that. And I know that you just did another one. Um, and so if you could actually just share with us that information as to where people can watch the YouTube video on uh, vaccination, because it, it's a lot of the stuff we spoke about in this podcast, but there's some more. And I think it's important for people to be able to share that. So, Doc, if you could just share with us where that where that is or where the, it can be located. Yeah, there are two of them, actually. Uh, Palm Beach County Fire Rescue uh, has a YouTube channel and I, I did a presentation for, for them Uh basically on this topic. And then I just did one for HHS Asper and uh, they do a, a weekly echo um, uh, webinar that, that goes out across the country. And that one I just did this morning and had a couple of, uh, had a whole bunch of experts on. So I did my presentation with a bunch of slides on the, on the vaccines. We also, uh, there was how to re get reimbursed for this stuff. So it was a lot of really good, relevant information for EMS. So I, I really encourage folks to go to uh, the HHS Asper Echo uh, series on COVID and, and see what today's, and this is uh, December 7th uh, episode showed. And I believe that that recording will be available starting at the end of this week on Friday or so. Fantastic. Dr. Ken Shepke of uh, the Florida Department of Health, thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Please continue to do what you're doing and, and keep all of us informed on what's going on. We are very much grateful to you. And uh, to everybody, thanks for listening. This is another episode of EMS World Podcasts. And remember to save the date and mark your calendar for EMS World Expo 2021 coming up October 4th to the 8th in Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to be together, hopefully. So stay tuned, stay safe, and we'll talk to you all later. Thanks again. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 